Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Warning. Graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. The tape recording in this episode is not the original and is reenacted. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you've been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23, 1993 as a general advisory tape for future female captives. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. If at a future date there are any major changes in our procedures, the tape will be upgraded. This is the first thing many women would hear after being abducted and held captive in New Mexico between 1993 and 1999. This is Monsters. David Parker Ray was born on November 6, 1939 in Bellin, New Mexico. His father was a violent alcoholic, and when he was young, he and his sister Peggy were sent to be raised by their grandparents in Mountain Air. Their grandfather was strict and kept them busy with work on the ranch before and after school. He was also a devout Christian and wanted them to maintain a fundamentalist lifestyle and would beat them if they did anything wrong. In high school, David was shy and awkward, which caused him to be the victim of bullying. It wasn't until he got a Cushman pacemaker motor scooter that he gained some more confidence and began making friends at school. In the summer of 1957, David's grandmother died and he moved to Albuquerque to live with his mother. His sister, Peggy, stayed in Mountain Air and lived with a local family until she graduated from high school. Now you're obviously here against your will, totally helpless. Don't know where you're at. Don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose and know that you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what's gonna happen next. You probably think you're gonna be raped and you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is in what you've got between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got, because basically you've been snatched and brought here for us to train you to use as a sex slave. Sound kind of far out? Well, I suppose it is to the uninitiated, but we do it all the time. 
It's going to take a lot of adjustment on your part, and you're not going to like it a fucking bit. But I don't give a big rat's ass about that. It's not like you're going to have any choice about the matter. You've been taken by force, and you're going to be kept and used by force. What all this amounts to is that you're going to be kept naked and chained up like an animal. To be used and abused at any time we want to, any way that we want to. David became interested in sadomasochism when he was 13 years old. He began drawing pictures of women being bound and tortured and when he was confronted about it by his sister, he said it was just a hobby. Once David graduated from high school, he got a job as a mechanic. He was married in 1959 and when his new wife became pregnant, he enlisted in the United States Army. He was a mechanic in the army and while serving overseas, he learned to repair a lot of small mechanical devices like watches and telescopes. While David was out of the country, his wife gave birth to their first child, a son, but the marriage soon fell apart and the couple divorced in 1961. David was married again the following year, but that marriage ended after only three months. After being discharged from the army, David moved back to Albuquerque where he got a job working for a trucking company. He met a young woman named Glenda Burdine and the pair got married in 1966, making this David's third wife in only seven years. David's second child, a daughter named Glenda Jean Ray, who went by Jesse, was born on May 2nd, 1967. A few months after her birth, David abandoned his family and began wandering the American Southwest. While hitchhiking in New Mexico, David met a teenage girl named Sally and the two began traveling together. When they stopped at a truck stop to get something to eat, the owner offered David a job and a place to stay. David and Sally lived with the truck stop owner and his girlfriend for a while, but one day, Sally just disappeared. David explained that she was a free spirit and just decided to move on and the hosts believed him. Not long after, David returned to Albuquerque and moved back in with his wife, daughter, and stepson. David became a licensed aircraft mechanic and accepted a job teaching aircraft mechanics in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The family moved in April of 1969, and over the next few years, David taught classes during the day and spent his evenings as a typical husband and father. It was during this time that David would later tell investigators that sadomasochism began to consume his life. He said that he began fantasizing about murder while he masturbated and could only finish if he imagined killing a woman. David moved his entire family to Texas for a while where he ran a gas station and worked as a volunteer firefighter. But after a few years, in 1977, they returned to Albuquerque. David got a job repairing railroad tracks which had him traveling all over the Midwest. He was rarely home with his family and the strain finally caused the marriage to end in 1981. Not long after, David moved to Phoenix and married a woman named Joni Lee. By this time, David and his daughter Jessie had grown incredibly close. She had witnessed her father hire a prostitute for bondage, but when David got too rough, she ran out of the house naked. This created a crisis of conscience for Jessie. She loved her father, but she knew that what he was doing was wrong. During this period in his life, David leased a property in Elephant Butte, New Mexico, where he would take women for bondage sessions. Eventually, David moved into the trailer in Elephant Butte and began fabricating and selling bondage equipment. This specific property was right next to Elephant Butte Lake, which would become a convenient disposal spot. 
Now, I've already told you that you're going to be here a month or two, or maybe three, if you keep us turned on. If it's up to my lady, we'd keep you indefinitely. She says it's just as much fun and less risky, but personally, I like variety. A fresh pussy now and then to play with. We take four or five different girls each year, depending on our urges and sometimes accidental encounters. Basically, I guess we are like predators. We're always looking. Occasionally, some sweet thing will be broke down on the side of the road, walking, bicycling, jogging. Anytime an opportunity like that presents itself and it's not too risky, we'll grab her, even if we've already got a captive in the playroom. Variety is definitely the spice of life. Now, I'm sure that you're a great little piece of ass and you're going to be a lot of fun to play with, but I will get tired of you eventually. If I killed every bitch that we kidnapped, there'd be bodies strung all over the country. And besides, I don't like killing a girl unless it's absolutely necessary. So I've devised a safe alternative method of disposal. I had plenty of bitches to practice on over the years, so I've pretty well got it down pat. And I enjoy doing it. I get off on mind games. After we get completely through with you, you're going to be drugged up real heavy with a combination of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital. They are both hypnotic drugs that will make you extremely susceptible to hypnosis, auto-hypnosis, and hypnotic suggestion. You're going to be kept drugged for a couple of days while I play with your mind. By the time I get through brainwashing you, you're not going to remember a fucking thing about this little adventure. You won't remember this place, us, or what has happened to you. There won't be any DNA evidence, because you'll be bathed and both holes between your legs will be thoroughly flushed out. You'll be dressed, sedated, and turned loose on some country road. Bruised, eh, sore all over, but nothing that won't heal up in a week or two. The thought of being brainwashed may not be appealing to you, but we've been doing it a long time and it works. And it's the lesser of two evils. I'm sure that you would prefer that in lieu of being strangled or having your throat cut. In June of 1986, Jessie went into an FBI branch office in Albuquerque and filed a complaint against her father. She told the agents that David had kidnapped and tortured women, then took them to the Mexican border where he sold them into sex slavery. The FBI brought David in for questioning multiple times where he was open about his proclivity for sadomasochism. Without any evidence that he had done anything wrong, the FBI dropped the investigation. After that, Jessie did a 180 and accepted her father's behavior. She had tried to stop what he was doing and the FBI didn't seem to care, so since she couldn't beat him, she apparently decided to join him. David seemed to also be affected by the FBI dropping the investigation against him. He likely felt emboldened, which made him escalate his behavior. David put all of his focus into developing the perfect torture chamber. He began studying psychological methods to mentally break down his victims. He purchased a 22-foot-long cargo trailer and parked it on his property. He soundproofed the trailer and added a sturdy deadbolt. He installed an air conditioner and a portable toilet. He filled the trailer with torture devices, ropes, pulleys, pliers, whips, scalpels, and clamps. He had built devices that he dubbed the vaginal stretcher, the ankle separator, and the knee spreader. He installed a remote-controlled gynecological chair with stirrups. This trailer would become known as the Toy Box. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. In 1994, David separated from his fourth and final wife. He was living in Elephant Butte full-time, and Jesse ended up moving into his trailer with him. This was where David began training his daughter to be his assistant to help him procure victims and be involved in the torture. On July 25, 1996, Jesse was at a local bar with friends, and by the end of the night, one of them needed a ride home. Kelly Van Cleve had moved to Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, to be with her boyfriend, but the relationship didn't last. She stayed in town and ended up marrying a Marine, but that relationship was already on the rocks. After an argument with her husband just days after the wedding, she stormed out of the house and went out with some friends. She was supposed to be the designated driver, though, so she had only had one beer the entire night. Her other friends ended up leaving without her, and despite her only having one beer, by the time she was ready to leave with Jesse, she felt surprisingly intoxicated. With Jesse saying she was too drunk to make it all the way back to truth or consequences, she suggested they just stay at her father's house, and Kelly agreed. The next thing Kelly remembered was being on the couch in David's trailer home and having handcuffs put on her wrists. Then, a metal collar was placed around her neck and secured with a padlock. David took her outside and into the toy box. She was so scared she passed out, and when she regained consciousness, she was naked, strapped to a gynecological table with her arms above her head and her legs spread open. Then, she heard the orientation tape. Okay, undoubtedly, somebody's gonna be looking for you. There may or may not be a missing persons report, but nobody's gonna be looking for you here. They don't have any idea where you're at. You don't even know where you're at. We're always very careful about that. There are not gonna be any knights in shining armor coming to rescue you. You are strictly on your own, and, under the circumstances, I bet that's a scary thought. If there is another girl in the room, she won't be able to help you either, because she's going to be in the same position you're in. As for escaping, I'm sure you'll try to figure out a way. That's human nature, but it's not hardly even worth talking about here. It would not be prudent on our part to have you running around in the woods screaming rape. It would be an embarrassment, to say the least. Consequently, you're going to be kept in an environment that is even more secure than a prison cell. If it has not already been done, very shortly a steel collar is going to be padlocked around your neck. It has a long, heavy chain that is padlocked to a ring in the floor. The collar will never be removed until you're turned loose. It's a permanent fixture. The hidden playroom where you're going to be kept has steel walls, floor, and ceiling. It is virtually soundproof and has a steel door with two keyed locks. The hinges are welded on, and there are two heavy deadbolts on the outside. The room is totally escape-proof, even with tools. Any time you are left unattended in the room, your wrists will be chained, and there are electronic sensors to, uh, let us know if you move around too much. And if that's not enough, there is a closed-circuit TV system with a surveillance camera. 
it's wired to the main TV in the living room so we can check on you once in a while, or just sit and watch you for the fun of it. Electronics is a wonderful thing. Expensive, but hell, everything in the room is expensive, and damn well worth it. If everybody knew how much fun it was to keep a sex slave, half the women would be chained up in someone's basement. When Kelly never returned from her night out, her husband, Patrick, went out looking for her. After being told that she had been seen partying with friends, he assumed that she had run off with someone and left him. He actually got a do-it-yourself divorce kit and was planning to dissolve the marriage before he was scheduled to return to San Diego from shore leave. On the third evening after Kelly was kidnapped, David gave her a dose of phenobarbital so she wouldn't remember what had happened. The next thing she remembered was sitting in a McDonald's with David, where he was telling her that he had found her wandering around the beach. David had been working as a park ranger and offered to give her a ride home. Patrick was shocked to see Kelly, dirty and in the same clothes she had left in a few days prior. When he asked her where she had been, she couldn't remember. When Patrick refused to believe her, he told her he was going through with the divorce and told her to leave. She was shunned back into the care of the man who had abducted, raped, and tortured her. David gave her a ride to a friend's house. It would take years for Kelly to start remembering pieces of what happened to her at David Parker Ray's property over those three days. In the summer of 1997, Marie Parker, a single mother of two, was a regular fixture of the local bar scene in Truth or Consequences. She had become friends with Jesse Ray and briefly dated a man named Roy Yancey, a friend of David Parker Ray's. Marie did sex work off and on and had struggled with drug and alcohol dependence. She had been clean for a while, but fell off the wagon and eventually got evicted from her apartment. In her time of need, her friend, Jesse, offered to let her stay in a tent on her father's property in Elephant Butte. There was a 4th of July party on the lake with David, Jesse, and Roy all in attendance. A few days later, Marie met Jesse at a bar to score some drugs. Jesse arrived with Roy in her father's truck and picked up Marie, taking her to a secluded spot nearby. Once they arrived, Jesse pulled a gun and handcuffed Marie. She then drove her out to David's property. Roy would later tell the police that he watched Jesse take Marie into the toy box. Okay, let's talk about, uh, your training. The rules and punishment. Here, you are a slave and discipline is extremely strict. You're going to be given a set of rules, things you can and cannot do, and you will learn to comply because each time you violate a rule, you will be punished. As soon as each rule is told to you, it will become law as far as you're concerned, and you know what's going to happen every time you fuck up. We'll use a couple of methods of punishment. A whip is an excellent training aid, so is an electroshock machine. Anytime you get out of line, one or both will be used on your body and I assure you, it will not be pleasant. There is not many rules and they're very easy to remember, but you're gonna make mistakes. Every slave does. I don't like repeat offenders, it gets me very upset. During the first few hours, the first time you violate a certain rule, a teaching process. The second time you violate the same rule, you'll be lightly punished. And the third time you violate it, it's going to be full punishment. After the first day, we won't cut you any slack at all. We will expect total obedience. 
that part of the original tape has a skip in it, which I recreated. Marie was in the toy box for three days, where both David and Jesse tortured and sexually assaulted her. Roy claimed that he didn't participate in any of that, but on July 8th, David told him that they were, quote, done playing with her, and brought Roy into the toy box. David handed him a rope and told him to strangle Marie, which he did. After that, the three of them wrapped her body in a blue blanket and drove her out to Monticello Canyon and rolled her body off of a ravine. They climbed down the hill and covered the body with loose dirt. After the body was dumped, Roy, Jesse, and Roy's father went to Texas and laid low for almost a year, only returning when they were sure that nobody was looking for them in connection to Marie's disappearance. Marie's mother reported her missing, but local police didn't do much to try to find a drug addict with a history of sex work. The case went cold. While Marie was enduring torture in the toy box, a woman named Cindy Hendy was just moving into Elephant Butte. Cindy was a 37-year-old mother of three and had a lengthy criminal record, which was the reason for her move. She had been ordered by a court in Washington State to enter a drug rehab program, but she didn't want to, so she fled the state and ended up in New Mexico. After the move, her life wasn't much different than it had been in Washington. She was drinking and dating abusive men, but by the summer of 1998, she was single and once Jesse and Roy returned from Texas, all of them began a three-way relationship. They would regularly use David's home as a place for sex. By October, Cindy had stopped dating Roy and was now dating David. She was thoroughly under his spell and already engaging in sadomasochism with him and young hitchhikers they would pick up and bring home. It's unknown how many women were taken into the toy box, never to be seen again. Now I gotta tell you that there's another side to the coin. Once in a while we get a bitch that's resentful, rebellious, won't mind, uncooperative. That doesn't work here. I'm sure you realize you're on thin ice. As long as you have chains on your body, don't try either one of us. It is an extremely dangerous thing to do. If necessary, I'm capable of doing things to your body and torturing you in ways you can't even imagine. The playroom is equipped with a full set of surgical instruments, which I have had occasion to use and will again as necessary. I've already told you what'll happen if you bite. To be completely safe here, you have to be docile. If you should accidentally or otherwise hurt, scratch, or kick either one of us, you could be in very serious trouble. I'm sure that you want to survive this experience, and I want you to also. But you are expendable, and it's no big deal to go out and snatch a replacement. It may sound harsh and cold, but if you give us too much trouble, or if you pose any kind of threat to us, I won't have any qualms about slicing your throat. Like I said before, I don't like killing the girls that we bring here. But occasionally, things happen. What can I say? I would really hate to have to dump that pretty little body off in a canyon somewhere to rot. I'm not trying to scare you. That's just the way it is. On February 16, 1999, Angelica Montano, who was friends with Cindy Hendy, wanted to bake a cake for her boyfriend, but couldn't afford the supplies. Cindy offered to give her some cake mix, but after the two met up, David appeared with a knife and told her that she was being abducted. Cindy pulled out a gun and held it to her head while David stripped off the young woman's clothes. They put a collar around her neck and locked her up inside the trailer home before going to sleep. 
It was more than three days that Angelica laid naked, chained to a bed before David took her out to the toy box. Inside the trailer, Angelica was subjected to unspeakable torture for about an hour before David looked at his watch and realized a television show that he wanted to watch was about to come on. He brought Angelica back into the trailer home and quickly forced her to perform oral sex on him. Somehow, Angelica was able to convince David and Cindy that she enjoyed the experience and wouldn't tell anyone about it. The following day, they drove her to a bus stop and let her go without injecting her with drugs first to damage her memory. Later that day, Officer Gary Leba, an off-duty narcotics officer for the Sierra County Sheriff's Department, was driving down the highway when he saw a young woman trying to flag down a motorist. He pulled over and picked her up and, without knowing he was a law enforcement officer, she told him how she had been kidnapped, chained up, and tortured. Officer Leba revealed that he was with the sheriff's department and offered to turn around so they could file a report with the Truth or Consequences Police Department, but Angelica didn't want to go back towards her captors. He offered to take her to another police department, but she refused. The officer, not sure if what he was being told was even true, then dropped her off at another bus station. Angelica would later tell a reporter that, when she got back to Albuquerque, she told her father about what had happened and they were planning to go to Elephant Butte and kill David and Cindy, but a few days later, her father was shot and killed in a drug deal gone bad and she gave up on the idea. She would later come forward after David and Cindy were arrested. On March 20th, 1999, David and Cindy left Elephant Butte in their camper headed towards Albuquerque. As soon as they arrived in town, they went straight to a popular hangout for sex workers, where David got out and started looking for someone to give him a blowjob. After a few minutes, he brought 22-year-old Cynthia Vigil to his camper where he made a deal for the job, no pun intended. But when they stepped into the back of the camper, David pulled out a police badge and told Cynthia she was under arrest. Cynthia immediately knew that David wasn't a police officer, but she didn't have time to question him because Cindy suddenly appeared and shocked her with a stun gun. Cynthia tried to get away, but the couple overpowered her and handcuffed her to a cabinet in the camper. David and Cindy stopped at a gas station where Cindy bought cigarettes and wine and the pair ordered Cynthia to take off her clothes. Then they tied her hands and feet and put a black leather hood over her head and drove back to Elephant Butte. Inside the trailer home, David and Cindy tied Cynthia to a bed in the den, placed a metal collar around her neck, and left her there. Then, Cynthia heard a tape recording start to play. Since I'm going to be caring for your body for the next month or two or three, there are certain things that I need to know. I have prepared a questionnaire that I fill out with each new captive. Some of the questions are going to be embarrassing, but you should answer them truthfully and completely. You damn well better. I don't want to catch you in a lie. The questions will be in reference to your physical condition. Any medical conditions that I need to know about, medications, sex habits, sexual preferences, any childbirth you might have had, period dates, and so forth. Now your training has already started. Each time I ask you one of those questions on the questionnaire, there's going to be a proper way to answer it, which I'll tell you about in a few minutes. While we go through the questionnaire, you're going to be strapped down on the gynecology table. Your feet will be in the stirrups and your knees will be pulled wide apart with everything exposed. 
I like to keep a girl that way while she's answering the questions, so I can examine and verify uh, anything she might tell me which would affect her use as a sex slave. If you do have any kind of medical condition, by all means, let me know. We'll discuss it and we may make adjustments. We won't turn you loose, but we may make adjustments. We're probably going to be starting on this questionnaire pretty soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Inside their home, Cindy threatened Cynthia with a gun as David tortured the young woman. He inserted large dildos in her vagina and rectum. Then he connected metal clamps to her nipples. The clamps were wired to a small portable generator, and when he flipped it on, a wave of electricity passed through her body. Next, David placed a separator bar between Cynthia's knees and forced her legs wide open. He got a can of gravy from the kitchen and placed some of it into her vagina. He went outside and retrieved a dog, then let it lick the gravy from Cynthia's body. When the dog was finished, Cynthia was retied to the bed and left there. The next day, David led Cynthia into a bedroom and hogtied her on the bed. He used some pulleys in the ceiling to lift her off the bed so she hung in midair. Then he used a barbed dildo and various whips to torture the poor woman. When he was finished, he returned Cynthia to the den and retied her to the bed. Not satisfied with his earlier torture, later the same day, David brought Cynthia back into the bedroom and placed clamps onto her breasts, which were connected to chains and pulled tight. Then David used a stun gun to shock Cynthia's thighs, and every time she jerked, the clamps would stretch her breasts. Due to the intense pain, Cynthia lost consciousness and later awoke back in the bed she was regularly tied to. The next day was Monday, and David had to go to work, leaving Cynthia in the care of Cindy, who was much less experienced with kidnap and torture than David was. Before David left, he untied Cynthia and let her stay on the bed just with the metal collar locked around her neck, which was chained to a metal ring on the wall. It kept her on the bed, but when Cindy dropped the keys to the padlocks on the coffee table, Cynthia knew she could reach it. While David worked, Cindy would spend her days watching soap operas, and today was no different. As Cindy stared at the television in the living room, Cynthia managed to stretch her leg out enough to pull the coffee table towards herself with her foot. She grabbed the keys and unlocked the chain from the wall. She snuck over to the telephone and dialed 911, but before she could talk to the operator, Cindy walked into the den and caught her. Cindy yelled, quote, You're not going anywhere! and smashed a glass lamp over Cynthia's head. Cynthia was able to hit Cindy over the head with something which knocked her out. She then ran out the front door and kept on running. Completely naked, bloody, with a metal collar and chain around her neck, Cynthia tried to flag down a car, but the first one that came by had a woman inside who locked the door and kept on driving. Cynthia continued running until she came to a house and without even knocking, she rushed inside and begged the resident to help her. The man got her a blanket and called 911. When Cindy regained consciousness, she called David at work to tell him what had happened. 
He rushed home and the couple got into the camper in an attempt to flee, but they were stopped just down the road and arrested. When the sheriff's department went into David's home and the enclosed trailer on the property, they immediately knew they were going to need more resources, so they called the state police. In the trailer home, they found the locks that were used to restrain women, as well as hooks, pulleys, leg spreaders, whips, ropes, dildos, and electrical connectors. In the enclosed trailer, they found a gynecological table, more clamps, whips, chains, and leg spreaders. They also found various pliers as well as a full array of surgical tools. There was a sign right inside the door that read, quote, Satan's Den, and a sign that said, quote, Remember, a woman will do or say anything to get loose. They will kick, bite, scream, threaten, scratch, yell, run, lie, beg, offer sex. Like it was a reminder just in case. Investigators found more than 100 videotapes and photographs of various women being tortured. There was a map of Elephant Butte Lake on one wall with about a dozen X's marking different locations. They also found a homemade coffin with eye bolts in it so a woman could be locked up inside. Right outside the coffin was another sign that read, quote, Don't let her get to you. If she was worth taking, she's worth keeping. Never trust a chained captive. Both David and Cindy tried to claim that their activity with Cynthia was consensual. Cindy said that they had agreed to bring Cynthia back to David's property to help her kick a heroin habit in exchange for her participating in some bondage sessions. It was after being charged with several felonies and facing a possible 93 years in prison that Cindy finally realized that she was in real trouble. After her arraignment, she met with investigators to tell them what really happened on David Parker Ray's property. Cindy went on to tell investigators that David had murdered 14 women and dumped their bodies in various parts of the Southwest. She said that at least two of the women that were in pictures that had already been found in David's home were among the dead. She implicated Roy Yancey in the murder of Marie Parker and told investigators that Jesse Ray was also involved in many of the kidnappings. As news of David in his torture chamber made headlines, other women came forward to tell authorities that they had been kidnapped, tortured, and sexually assaulted. Both Kelly Van Cleve and Angelica Montano came forward and told their stories to authorities. Kelly's memory was still not great. She only remembered small parts of her horrific ordeal, but her story was confirmed when investigators found a VHS tape in the torture trailer of Kelly being bound and assaulted. Unlike many of the recordings that David made, this tape showed Kelly's face and a distinctive tattoo that she had. The inside of the toy box was so horrific that it affected many of the people involved in the case, but none as much as FBI Special Agent Patty Rust. The entire trailer was transported to the FBI office in Santa Fe to undergo forensic analysis. Special Agent Rust was assigned to make detailed drawings of the inside of the trailer and everything it contained. She spent five days in the trailer logging everything she saw and when she was done, she stepped out of the trailer and shot herself in the head with her service weapon. She died instantly. The FBI's official statement is that her suicide had nothing to do with what she saw in the trailer. Sure. In 2000, Cindy Hendy pleaded guilty to charges of kidnapping and rape in exchange for testifying against David. She was sentenced to 36 years in prison. Investigators did an extensive search for any of David's alleged murder victims. 
Roy had taken them to the spot where they had dumped Marie's body, but they didn't find anything. Roy stated that David likely moved the body. They excavated his property, but didn't find any remains. A burlap sack containing human tissue and bone were recovered from Elephant Butte Lake, but the remains couldn't be identified and no connection to David was made. He ended up being charged with multiple counts of kidnapping and sexual torture against Cynthia Vigil, Angelica Montano, and Kelly Van Cleve. The judge decided it would be best to sever the cases, meaning David would have separate trials for each case. This meant that the prosecution couldn't use the other cases to corroborate each other and show a pattern. It was also decided that many of the pictures of the inside of the trailer would not be admissible in both Kelly and Angelica's trials, since there was no evidence that the equipment was used in those cases. The equipment was in the trailer now, but nobody could prove that it was there back when those two women were abducted. The first trial in Kelly's case ended in a mistrial after two jurors refused to vote guilty. They said they didn't believe Kelly's story, which is strange. It would seem highly coincidental that she would make up a story about being kidnapped, then tortured and sexually assaulted in a torture chamber, only to have that exact torture chamber discovered with a videotape of the torture happening. The jury didn't hear about the other two women who would corroborate her story, but still, it seems like once the actual torture chamber is found to be real, wouldn't that make the story more credible? Then when you add an actual recording of the torture taking place, how do you not believe that person's story? They somehow believed that Kelly was a willing participant in the sexual abuse and torture that took place in that video. When David was retried, the jury had no problem finding him guilty on all charges. He wasn't sentenced before his second trial began in the case involving Cynthia. This was the strongest of the three cases, since it was the most recent and Cynthia wasn't drugged so her memories were intact. They also presented DNA evidence from items recovered from the property, including the broken lamp that Cindy had hit Cynthia with. This trial would never finish though because halfway in, David told his lawyer to take a deal. In July of 2001, David Parker Ray accepted a deal to plead guilty to the multiple counts against him for Cynthia and Angelica's cases, on top of his conviction for Kelly's case in exchange for 224 years in prison. It was rumored that the deal included probation for his daughter, Jessie Ray, but the prosecutor denied that. Despite pleading guilty, David maintained that the activities that took place in the toy box were consensual, and that he was being persecuted for his unconventional sexual preferences. In September of 2001, Jesse Ray pleaded guilty to kidnapping Kelly Van Cleve and was sentenced to nine years in prison. Six years of the sentence was suspended, and she was released with time served. Years prior, in 1999, Roy Yancey pleaded guilty to Marie Parker's murder and made a statement that it was done at the request of David after she had been kidnapped and tortured by both David and Jesse. No evidence was ever found to link Marie's disappearance or death to either of the Rays, and neither of them were ever charged with any crime involving her. As a matter of fact, despite David Parker Ray being known as a serial killer, he has never been convicted or even charged with a murder. He spent the rest of his life in prison, having been convicted of dozens of kidnapping and torture charges. David died of a heart attack on May 28, 2002. He was 62 years old. Cindy Hendy was released on parole on July 15, 2019.
David Parker Ray had an uncontrollable urge for pain and death. He couldn't function sexually without it, and in turn, he decided that other human lives were just pieces of meat for him to use and discard. He was one of the most completely evil monsters our world has ever seen. I cannot predict the future. I can't predict changes of procedure. But if this tape is being played for you, I have to assume that it's still reasonably accurate. And I can only give you advice. Be smart and be a survivor. Don't ever scream. Don't talk without permission. Be very quiet. Be docile and obedient, and by all means, show proper respect. Have a nice day. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter, or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can also check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our new merch at Teespring. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.